Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hi. I'm Rachel Wright. I'm founder and director of Born at the Right Time. I'm a qualified nurse, the parent of three, and I've got an eldest son who loves swimming, pointless, and has really complex disabilities. I wrote the memoir, The Skies I'm Under, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for another episode of The Skies We're Under podcast, which shares the stories of fellow parents so you can all feel a little less alone and a little more understood, except today is slightly different because this week on the Skies Wonder podcast, I'm being joined not only by Sarah Clayton, who's the CEO of Simple Stuff Works, but also Jane Hamer, who is a physiotherapist in New Zealand. Jane's recently completed her master's research with parents of children who have disabilities introducing nighttime positioning. We'll call this the first episode of the Skies Wonder practitioner series. Are there any professionals you'd like us to talk to on the podcast? You could email tswupodcast at gmail.com to suggest who you would like us to interview and who you'd like to hear from. Here we talk about how hard news is sometimes just that, really hard. And there are important things that practitioners can do to help parents communicate and work with each other better just making the hard that little bit easier. If you're the parent of someone with limited movement or a practitioner who supports families like us, this is a really helpful, great conversation. In the middle, I had a phone call from the hospital because, you know, life happens, but Sarah and Jane carry on. So I hope you enjoy. Hello. We are really thrilled. Sarah and I are delighted to invite Jane. It's bright and early in the morning where we are, but Jane is got i reckon from screen below there's pajamas <laughs> no nearly there's nearly pajamas nearly nearly no. pajamas because <laughs> as you can tell from the accent jane's from new zealand and kiora so we're really delighted to have jane with us because we want to find out more about her msc so i'm a pediatric physio and i graduated as a pediatric physio a long time ago And I've always, not always, I've been very interested in postural care. Probably I would have said postural management, but I now say postural care. Postural care, and I felt that in my experience, it was very difficult for families and also for therapists to implement postural care, especially at nighttime. Mm -hmm. But as well, during the daytime as well, I guess you would say. And I wanted to understand a bit more why it was so difficult. All the papers that I did in my postgrad dip were about postural care. And so then after doing that, I just carried on to do my master's because that journey of the postgrad dip highlighted that actually there are very there was very little of the voices of families. And I thought that that was like the missing piece, really. You know, there's all this evidence about, oh, well, there is evidence about the benefits of it, what it purports to be able to prevent, the uh, training and pathways and how that will, that helps clinicians and Mm -hmm. theory um, 
parents know how to do it, but it's still there, there wasn't really there never seemed to be very much about the voices of caregivers, and that's what I felt was the missing piece. What's the context that you work in? What's the kind of well, so it's probably a bit like a NHS trust. So it's a child development team, which is in the whole of New Zealand. Well, it's just changed recently. We're having a whole restructure of the health system in New Zealand. But they have been, we divided up into areas called DHBs, district health boards. They are now obsolete and we're called health authorities. But in our DHB, there are two child development teams. And so that's like a trust, multidisciplinary team, physios, mm-hmm. OT, speechy, dietitian, social worker, community nurses. We're all in it together in a multidisciplinary team covering an area. Well, what were your three themes that came out from your research? Well, it took a long time to get to the themes. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I'm not a natural researcher, but the what was very clear The first theme is, I called it, it's a complex night. And basically that one is that, I mean, it's pretty pretty obvious for somebody who's in it. I want to cry. It takes some research for people to think like, oh, this is a thing then. (laughs) We've researched it. And it's really frustrating, isn't it? Like not just Mm -hmm. about parents voice and within that but within lots of other things it's mm. you know I've had conversations with people and like so what's the research and I'm like it's just it's just like I live it and mm. I know lots of other people who live it and this is like I don't need research to tell me this but it is so powerful when you feel unheard or feel like a silent piece like if we're if we're the missing piece, then we're the silent piece. Mm-hmm. It's very, very powerful to feel seen. I remember the physios when my son was really tiny and I was just like, and they were trying to get us to do certain positions and things in his back. And I was like, I just, I can't keep him asleep. And unless I'm waking up four or five times in the night to get him onto his back, you know, to put him on his side for him to fall asleep and then get him onto his back again and then put him back. And they're like, well, you know, sleep's important, so let's just leave it. And I'm like, okay, because I, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I mm. don't know mm. what the right thing is here. It just feels like there's this big pendulum swing. It's either all or nothing. It's either you're doing everything we're supposed to do or we abandon ship. And I just feel that 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 recognition of complexity, not that that sort of washes our hands off it, do you know what I mean? But yes, this is complex and therefore we need to spend more time and more mm. energy mm-hmm. on this aspect rather mm. than, oh, it's hard. So let's uh, let's move on to what we can do yeah. today when we're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's true, actually. But um, I think like the, in the theme, the theme, it's a complex night. Like, I think... Before I did this research, or before I was really embedded in listening to the transcriptions again and again multiple times, like I knew cognitively, I knew that nighttime was difficult. Because if it was difficult in the day, it was going to be difficult at nighttime. So I knew that. But I didn't like know it in mm-hmm. my heart. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really. Because you you go into someone's home and you're going in, as a clinician, you're going in to do a piece of work. You know, you're going to support. And you've got a job that you're going to do. And then you leave. 
Mm. And there's somehow like being in those transcriptions, being really embedded in it. Mm-hmm. I really heard it. And it was it was an aha moment. And it was also really humbling to be thinking, oh, like, oh. Mm. It was it was really um and I, t- I hear what you say about like it's to be unheard and unseen and it takes research to have someone validate actually what is your reality that must be hurtful but at the same time how I feel about it now like I feel like where I am I've been banging on about postural care for ages and you know lots of therapists will say oh it's too hard for the family and so we won't do it yet and they're not yeah they're not ready and and you know like we've just got to take it slow and and blah 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 and yes absolutely you can't like force something down someone's throat but it was often as like it felt like a cop-out from my colleagues and I got really annoyed with it because I think you know, there's so much research out there about the trajectory of what is going to happen as a consequence of an unsupported body yeah. and how that will affect their life, their life expectancy, the quality of their life and the quality of the people that love them, yeah. that that of being unsupported, physically unsupported. Yeah. We can't not know that. I guess that some of this research was frustration with my colleagues of sort of that it felt unethical to know something and to Mm. say it's a bit too hard to do it yeah so what I feel like it's a double-edged sword like you said it's hard to have not been seen and an outsider to mean you get seen I also feel like it's research people can't ignore it now that's how I feel about it. Like it's actually there. No one else that I work with, no other manager, whatever, can say to me, it's not true. I can say it's true because it's in the research. Born the Right Time is a proud partner of Simple Stuff Works. Together, we champion the protection of people's bodies through engaging and enjoyable training, looking at 24-hour postural care and specifically the importance of lying support. Whether you're a novice wanting a short three-hour online course taking you through the basics, a specialist practitioner needing comprehensive training or anything in between, we have a range of CPD-certified courses just for you. Find out more at www.bornattherighttime.com, where we give you the language, skills and confidence to protect people through excellence in 24-hour postural care. Do you think, it's really interesting you saying, obviously I went in and I knew it was bad because I've gone in and worked with these families all, you know, for years but something was different. I'm really curious. One thing I talk about in my in my training around communication and co-production is around listening to understand mm. and versus listening to respond. And mm. I wonder whether that's the difference between the two types of conversation. When you're going in as a clinician, you're listening to respond in a way that gets across your 
piece of information. Like it's it's in, it's it's kind and it's intentional, but the your, your purpose, the thing you've got to leave with in order to say mm. this has been a beneficial interaction is I've got to mm. come away with what am I doing? What's the equipment we've used? How have I taught them? What's you know what I mean? I've got to have these objectives, and so I'm going in with the intention of I'm going to listen so that I can get this task done. Whereas when you went in as a researcher, you went in with the sole purpose of immersing into understanding what's going on mm. and therefore penetrates a different you basically you're making yourself more vulnerable in that mm. situation yeah too because think, you knew you needed to absorb it in a different way well yes i think it was also when you go in as a clinician it's yes it's to to have an interaction to do a piece of work but you're also going well for me i want to try and make it better mm. and i'm going in to try and make it better but i'm not necessarily understanding what's going to make it better for the person that i'm going in to help mm. i'm going to make it better and it's um it's a bit judgy because it's my better right Mm-hmm. It's, it's as a clinician, not the better that it might be for the child or for the family, yeah. I think. And you're right that, like, being as a novice researcher, it was a very uncomfortable space for me, of mm-hmm. going in and having to listen and and with my supervisor of but always being constantly challenged of, you're not interpreting yet. You know, like you just, mm, just have to do the, you have to listen and you have to analyze first and then you do the interpretation. You are just mm. analyzing the mm. things that people are saying. And I think that if you could be saying the word, it still feels like a little bit of a foreign, something that I, you know, I've been a physio for a long time. So as a, a qualitative researcher, to analyze what somebody is saying without putting myself in it, it's a real skill Mm. that I would not say that I'm an expert in by any stretch of imagination. But if we go back to the things of the complex night, the main things that came out of that was nighttime's complex, health trumps sleep systems, and sleep trumps sleep systems. And what parents or caregivers were saying was, Um, what they wanted was people to understand their night, not to be just talking about what had to happen at night time, but understand their night first before you talked about doing something else, adding another thing or saying doing it this way or that was the first thing. Yeah, I think the things that made a difference to me was when I was like a five-year-old congratulated for it being any better than it was like a week or two ago. Like rather than this feeling of if I haven't done all night with my son in the sleep system Mm. properly, then Mm. there's a level of how much failure has there been versus amazing. You did 15 more minutes. Amazing. That, you know, fantastic you've made a difference you know what I mean and just having that sense mm. of hope that sense of mm. okay because that motivates you to do the next thing you know if you're on a mm. diet and someone says yeah you only had three biscuits <laughs> rather than well you might as well go and eat the whole cake because you've had three yeah. biscuits you know yeah. it's that that sense of of being able to do something and it's interesting you talking about you know we're in the business of protecting we're protecting bodies 
And sometimes we think we're protecting parents by not saying the hard things early on. But what mm. we forget is we cannot protect them from the future. Mm. So it's not like we're, we're literally kicking the can down the road. We're, we, mm. we can't say they're not ready for it. If we believe, like you wouldn't withhold a cancer diagnosis for a child if we thought the chemotherapy was, do you know what I mean? Like we, yeah. we wouldn't do that. So at what <laughs> point do we say, yeah, this is hard. We need to have this hard conversation and then we need to work with you, you know, not just dump it and run, not mm. just like there is the, you mm. know, let's witness this potential car crash in your future. But, you know, with that hope aspect and with that understanding that starting that complex night of understanding and listening and saying you know I know this is hard mm. and not just it's hard because I can hear it's hard but guess what this the research says all families find this hard there is something really powerful in that as well isn't there like mm. it's not because you're doing it wrong that mm. this is tricky it's tricky because it's tricky also in the in the first thing it's a complex night what I also wanted to say about that was that time so for me there was this sort of element of time that went through every one of the three themes so the first thing it's a complex night the second theme is called this is what I know and there are two sub themes on that and then the third theme is support me to support my child but mm -hmm. the time element in it's a complex night is really about that the bit that I said about that they spoke, caregivers spoke about therapists recommending that they implement sleep systems. I'm really trying to read here. The a therapist recommends they implement sleep systems without fully, fully understanding their life at night. And so that that lack of understanding created a mismatch with therapists. So when I was saying about like it's a complex night, that health trumps the sleep system, and that in the health one, the the health things that trumped the sleep system were respiratory issues mm -hmm. and seizures. Those were the two most um, that, common things. Yeah, and that makes complete sense, doesn't it? Because it's immediate. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of time and thinking about, because we're so often looking quite far into the future. Mm. And I don't know if that's, you know, kind of something that you'd that you'd kind of elaborate on a little bit around mm. that idea of future because mm. I've done that for for so many years even as a parent of somebody with complex disability who mm. I know firsthand how off-putting talk of the future is and yet I've done it mm. I've done that Jane I know why I know but see like that was a, another aha moment for me of and that's in like in the second theme, this is what I know. And there are two sub-themes, what I know about my child and sleep systems and necessary evil. And it yeah. really came out for me and what I know about my child. And right. that was this influence of time that from the early diagnosis through to wherever they were on the journey, yeah. it's not a static thing. It's not a static feeling that they had as being a parent and it's also the child is changing and you have this diagnosis of and the shock of that and then maybe you start to get used to having a child with a disability but there's always 
what the parents said, there was always something going wrong. There was another new thing, another new challenge. And the thing they talked about the future. So since doing some work with you, but also from this, so the language that we use in New Zealand or that I'll own it, that I have used is sleep systems are to prevent problems in the future. Mm-hmm. But the evidence isn't there to say that sleep systems prevent it. Because mm-hmm. how can you, on this population of children, yeah. do a randomized controlled trial and say, only do sleep systems and you can see prevent it? There's so many other things. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say that's double-edged as well, isn't it? Because yeah. we've got that really common sense intervention and yet you'll have people say, well, there's no evidence for it. And it's like, but it's mm. just, but it's common sense. Oh, but So are we genuinely going to try to pick apart the complexity of these kids' lives to find one thing that makes the difference? Because yeah. it will never be, you know, it will, yeah. it will be, you know, a combination, seating, nighttime, you know, it's it, active therapy, it's, it's surgery, it's medication. It's, there's so much because these kids mm. are so complicated. But yeah, so what have you changed to in terms Protection. of language? Protection. Protection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, number one, what parents said, so this was the aha thing, you know, if we do this thing, it's going to prevent problems in the future. Yeah. And parents said, prevent problems in the future. Yeah. I mean, there's more problems coming. Like, yeah. that's my future. Like, the future is scary. I can't even cope with now. I can't get my child to sleep. I'm not sleeping. There's all like, now there's a seizure and now they say my child has got visual difficulties and you're saying there's going to be another problem in the future that I'm going to have to prevent. So that was really, um, yeah, they said, don't talk to me about the future and something that I can prevent in the future. Tell me how you can help me now. Perfect. And if you can help me, my child can be comfortable and if my child is comfortable, then they'll sleep. If you can help me get my child to sleep, if yeah. this will make my child comfortable so they'll sleep, then I'll do it. Don't tell me that it's doing something for the prevention in the future. Yeah. And so now, but we you know we do know that postural care supports protection of the body or yeah. alignment as much as possible or whatever so I've changed it to I now use the word protection instead of prevention because if you don't do it if somebody if a parent can't do it yeah or they have a bad night or they do it for like 10 minutes of a night rather than this like there's enough guilt already being absolutely a parent. absolutely oh, I was just to say the other thing that we do unintentionally with that idea of if you do this, you're preventing these problems in the future is that we load the responsibility for things that happen in the future onto the parent. The parent. And we do that. And we do that. I think, um, I think that there are some really difficult, there's really difficult language in that around things mm. like compliance and non-compliance, you know, yeah. and it's almost like the clinician is right. And if only the family were to have done what they had been told then you know kind of and it's that whole idea I've, I've for years kind of suggested to teams that they just ban the term just ban mm. those terms because because mm. I as a teacher as a professional I could never turn around to an inspector an Ofsted inspector and say oh but this year nine class of you know that's not you know mm. let's say year nine boys let's all imagine what 14 year old boys are like mm. in a group they were non-compliant 
It's like, I don't care. What's the quality of your teaching? You know? So it's that loading of responsibility. The responsibility is ours, isn't it? Mm. Can I say that what the the a big aha moment for me is the power of language that we're using. Mm-hmm. So the aha moment of future of yeah. saying postural care instead of postural management because postural management sounds it puts the the power with me like I am the one and it's, it doesn't sound very kind as well and you're managing someone's posture at night time when you actually as a parent you're you know yeah. I'm not there and <laughs> and as a parent you're loving them and so it's care right and sleep and comfort versus and protection versus prevention and there was another word I was going to oh when you said compliance and non-compliance and I try never to use that but I also try and not say adherence or non-adherence because I think that's just as judgy I'm trying now to say supporting engagement so it's what I try and say so that someone is engaging with the plan or engaging with the equipment or engaging with the recommendations. At whatever level that they're at able whatever to level, at this yeah. time with a view to building on that in the future. And I think that that's that shift, isn't it, from facing a family, from being on one side of the the, the desk to and, the other and, and, being, and walking yeah, alongside. alongside. Yeah, absolutely yeah. walking alongside. So we've got the three themes, which were... Yeah. It's a complex night. This is what I know. And then this is what I know. Two sub-themes is what I know about my child. And the second second sub-theme of that one was sleep systems and necessary evil. And in that one, every single parent knew that the sleep system was to support alignment. They knew that. They had all got that. So whoever had worked with them, that's what they knew that was really important. And that it was really useful. So they knew that it was to protect their body and to keep them straight. But that understanding yeah. was at odds with their belief that nighttime was a time of freedom from all the other daytime equipment and a time of freedom to move. And just nighttime was a time of freedom. Yeah. And so whilst they knew that sleep systems were important, a lot of them did not understand or felt that being free of equipment yeah was really important and didn't un- didn't necessarily understand that if the child was not moving during the daytime they weren't moving then it wasn't like their night at night yeah, so yeah. there was that there was that thing i feel like a, a bit of education or support or whatever from the therapists of saying so your life at night is not the same as your child's life. You know, like that. And there's some research. Yeah. Yeah. There's some research around numbers of gross movements at night. And I cannot remember the name of it's a Japanese researcher that did it. Oh, Sato. Was it? Uh, Sato. Yeah. There's there's Katajal. There's another one where he looks at numbers of gross movements and it's it's for, for children, typical children with typical movements, seven to eight gross movements per night. So, front to back, back to side, you know, big body movements. And for the cohort of children with cerebral palsy, I think there were two movements through Mm. the whole cohort, not per night, per child, but two movements for the whole cohort. But I think that there's a real power there. So again, thinking about language, and but there's power there in knowing that is a conversation that you have to have. You have to name that. 
and you have yeah. to acknowledge that you know I remember a conversation with a parent she was saying but but he loves a kickabout it's like that yeah don't stop him having a kickabout but then mm. once he's finished having a kickabout then this mm. is no, it's not about and I think there's something as well that comes back doesn't it to your you know that idea of uh, protection so I mm. talk a lot about car seat you know that kind of white the, the transition of, of our thoughts around car seats remembering my mum having a temper mm. tantrum because they were going to put seat belts in the back of cars whereas now I mean like kind of you see these monumental systems that are there to protect our children and we have mm. moved as a there's a cultural movement isn't there mm. away from this idea of oh but you have to be free to determine that's another one isn't it it's his choice to lie like that and mm. and rather than it's thinking about how will you tackle, mm. like prepare for that conversation. Mm. Make sure you have that conversation about freedom. Make sure you have that conversation about protection and restraint and why mm. different people need different things. But yeah, absolutely. And mm. and then the final theme. Um, the final theme is support me to support my child. Yeah. And so that was a little bit like what Rachel uh, was saying at the beginning about like she talked about encourage me give me hope mm -hmm. and it's really about I guess as a clinician certainly in the UK and well in UK New Zealand Australia whatever we all think that we do family-centered care that's that's mm -hmm. our belief is that that is what we do family-centered care but if you look at the family-centered care behaviors yeah. and what families in this research said that they didn't feel that they got. I don't think that we really are doing as much family-centered care as we think that we are. They talked about the way they wanted the support and the relationships that they want and the impact of that, either positively or negatively, on their experience of sleep systems. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, they... I mean, it's, I think it's a, like a global thing. The challenges were about the waiting lists and waiting for equipment and and that they felt that clinicians came along and said, it is really important that you need to make your child be lying at this. And then they had to wait for three or four months to get the equipment. Yeah. And they're like, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's really that important. You, yeah. you told you came and told me how important it is, but you're not doing anything yeah. about it. And, know, that, and that, it's that mismatch, isn't it, between mm. the rhetoric and the mm. action. So if the mm. action doesn't match the rhetoric, mm. you know, as, as much as we can say, oh, but that's because the system, it doesn't mean it's not important. It's like get your ducks lined up before mm. you have that conversation about mm. introducing. Make sure you've got the kit to hand. So that yeah. it's right. And we I know that in the UK there's certain parts of the certain services that we work with who have stock. So it is very much uh, you know, kind of it, it is immediate. You know, they, mm. they have that kit, it's there because it's basic stock items that, you know, it's like the, the mm. water frame and the toilet riser, you know, that these yeah. are and I think that's difficult, isn't it? It's seen as very highly specialist equipment because the kids and that we're thinking about are usually the more complex kids that are accessing services. And yeah. Mm. The equipment doesn't need to be complicated, you know. It can no. be, you know, kind of. We need to be thinking about this—the really simple, kind of the basics, you mm. know. And if you're, if you, uh, if you do need something complex and you do have to wait, like whatever system you're in, like what are you going to show them to do mm -hmm. while they're waiting? Yeah. Don't just come and then anyway. That sort of that was one of the things they said. Uh, the yeah. other thing was about respecting their knowledge. Yeah. So 
you know, I might be the expert in the equipment and uh, posture and alignment and the position that the body should be in, but they're the expert of the child and their family. And so I think, again, it's about partnering and being alongside and that no one person is coming in on a white charger to solve it. You've got to do it together and they wanted that respect. So sleep system information was well received when therapists acknowledged and respected their knowledge. The other thing they wanted was like a coaching approach. So not coming in and being told, this is what you'll do, but be like, oh, so when do you think you could? And has it ever worked before? And and then if you have a bad night, what do you think you might do? And and you know, how can we do that together? That coaching rather than not rather than saying why, but like how and where and when and could it be and has it ever worked before? That you know, there's loads of different coaching models and that sort of thing. But that I think that is certainly in New Zealand there is more awareness that clinicians need to be adopting coaching models of yeah. working alongside families. Yeah. But having the there's certainly no tr- no tr- undergraduate training in it. No. Yeah, and so I think parents are really it puts you off if you're being told what to do when you actually Yeah, nobody's good at it. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing that says you don't get this than being told to do something that's just just ridiculous. You know, that kind of when you look at your context, there's nothing that says you don't know me than, you know, being told, right, you've got to do X, Y, Z when it's just like, yeah, right, have you seen my life, you know? Yeah. But the, obviously they haven't seen their life. And then no. if, if someone starts talking about what you should do and it's so, so different to what mm-hmm. your reality of your life is, it takes a very brave person to be able to say to someone who's come into your home who's going to be hopefully giving you something to be like uh, you know back off there just yeah. you know take the bus back a bit because you actually don't know me uh see what you think Rachel but I think that that takes skill as well on the part of the family and we as families mm. are mm. not we don't receive there are some fantastic courses out there that support families to we're kind of dumped into the situation, whereas clinicians arrive through choice to the situation mm. and with support and training. So sometimes we're not great at saying, actually, could we just slow up a bit? And sometimes we might be very angry. <laughs> we might just not communicate very effectively when we're talking- with that. Yeah. I was talking to someone mm. about this yesterday and how, and I think it's true for clinicians as well, but how as families you know, when you're overtired, when you're overwhelmed, when you're hypervigilant, then your capacity to be curious, and it came up in the podcast, didn't it, Sarah? You know, that whole, that ability to be curious and to sort of say, can you explain why that's important? Or do you know what I mean? Or to say, "Mm, Mm. that doesn't feel realistic within my context, but I'm really keen to know why you think it's important. Or Mm. even from the clinician point of view, to come in and sort of say, you know, what's important to you or what matters to you rather than what's the matter with you. And then in listening to that, say, would you, do you mind if I share with you my thoughts? You know, that capacity to be gentle and curious and patient 
is very hard if you're overstretched, overwhelmed, under-resourced, mm-hmm. pressed, yep. tired. Like that, that that takes a level of reflection and space that both families and clinicians really have. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we've all got our objectives and they're not necessarily aligned until unless we stop and take time to try and align them absolutely we've just got a couple more questions and then was there anything that surprised you well i would say the the element of time yeah so the that was the thing that i hadn't really grab i hadn't really understood and i guess it's like as a clinician we especially in pediatrics well in 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 allied health basically we sort of base our intervention on the ICF the International Classification of Function Health and Disability in pediatrics they then do the F words so some you know some of the listeners may know about the F words but basically the ICF is looking at health and disability for anybody and it's body structure and function activity participation and environmental context and personal factors. And those are the the domains. And my feeling is that we've mostly approached 24-hour postural care and nighttime positioning equipment, focusing on the body structure and function domain, just about hips and spine and everything, and not really thinking about the activity, which is the activity of sleep um, and participation if you are pain-free or if you're comfortable and you're well supported then you'll be able to do the things that you want to do so the ICF is there and it's the it's for the child right Mm -hmm. but there's the family and the parent is around Mm. the parents and the caregivers are around that as well and the ICF is just a snapshot in time and the F words have this element of time that runs across it the future so they they're trying to look at the ICF in relation to the child is going to grow. So it's not like an adult that's had a stroke or an adult that's got arthritis or an adult that's got a, had a hip replacement. You know, it is a child who's developing over time. But they that doesn't take into account the journey of the family over that time, of the, the parent, and that's a new diagnosis and then – you may be like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of getting a handle on my child and then they'll get sick or then they go to kindy or then they go to school and all those transition elements that are a change for the child but not that developmental physical trajectory of that transition, which I'm sure is a big topic that you talk in with your, with, um, in your, your podcast, but it's this trajectory for, so, you know, like you, you imagine, oh, you know, child development is like, that's so yes you're developing like up Mm, like that mm. it's not like that for children with special needs and it's not like that as a parent for a child with special needs it's like oh my god it's terrible and then you kind of go up and then something they get sick and you go down and then then you'll get going and I guess if that was a take-home thing for me as well is that I'm not just going in clinicians need to know they're not just going in to be working with the child where they are now they're thinking about the future in terms of protection not prevention and that they are thinking about they have to know the family where they are at what's important to Mm. them 
yeah. where they are and that when you go in today, it might be different. And well, it was, it's bound to be different in two months' time or how it would have been before because they're on their own trajectory. It's yeah. not just the trajectory of the child or yeah. it's the, the whole thing of the family. I guess that, that was a, a thing. The language, the bit about future and the ICF that we need to focus more on the engaging families by focusing less on body structure and function and more on the activity of sleep and participation. So yeah. the activity, if they're sleeping, then they'll be able to do more. I, I I think that is the way to be supporting families to be starting on the same level. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's sort of what I came away with. Born at the right time, we're passionate about improving the lives of people with complex disabilities, whether it's through supporting their family, CPD certified training for practitioners, or influencing policymakers and providers to turn rhetoric into reality. You can find out more about our work, whether it's book on a parent workshop, attend a live podcast event, or check out our range of practitioner training in communication, collaboration, and personalized care by visiting our website, www.bornattherighttime.com. And what's your plan next, Jane? Also, I've gone and done a sleep behaviour course mm -hmm. because I think that's a real big thing, real big bit that's missing from my own skill, yeah. my own skill set, that if parents are saying that sleep's the biggest challenge for them, yeah. so I'm, I'm not a paediatrician, I can't prescribe melatonin or anything like that, but that challenge of, of a parent saying that I've got them in, they wake up in the night, I can't get them back into it, or I can't get them to go to sleep in it. It's some skill around sleep behavior mm. and sleep hygiene and stuff. So I've just done a course on that. I hope to get some more knowledge. And I am planning on doing some co-design work with families in New Zealand, because one of the things they wanted was a bit like what I said to you that they, uh, families said, how would I know what I'm supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. That health literacy sort of aspect of it. Oh. And that, so you might have got a piece of equipment, then you've been discharged. How do you know when you need to ask for help again? Yes. And so finding, yeah. somehow making resources or somewhere visible for all. So it's not just making a, postural care pathway for the therapists to know mm. what to do it's a co-designed co-designed piece of work so that's what I'm hoping to do I feel very nervous about that I've never done anything like we that. we will be cheering you absolutely on. Jane thank you so very very much for your time for putting off bedtime that little bit uh, this evening well it's reassuring for us it's reassuring mm. for me from a personal level to have that sort of voice and that validation and to have that you know robust research that brought out those themes and then translated them into really useful meaningful ways in which practitioners can can kind of embody that learning within their practice so thank you jane so much for your research we can't wait to hear about the co-design stuff and we will obviously steal it uh, spread you. <laughs> um, we'll reference it. Spread, we'll spread reference the world. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity for me to share it as well. Thank you. Uh, That's really exciting. Absolute pleasure. Right. Okay. All right. Bye. See you bye. soon. Bye.
バイバイ The Sky's Wonder podcast is a Born at the Right Time production supported by the expert studio assistants of Podshop. Thanks to our wonderful guests for sharing their stories and very precious time. And special thanks to the generosity of listeners whose donations have helped make this podcast. We would love it if you could like, follow and review the podcast wherever you listen. As part of season two, we have some great live events, including the really ropey idea of Sarah, Lucy and I being your agony aunts. Email your stories, comments, and questions either to tswupodcast at gmail.com to join in or follow us on Instagram at Born at Right Time. We love you joining us for the ride as we hurtle along this off piste version of parenting. It's so much better when we do it together. Whatever skies we're under. <laughs>